Hey, everybody. I'm John Small. And I'm Dan Bova. And from the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network, this is Dirty Money. Investigators have called it one of the biggest corruption cases ever. You're one of the greatest con men of all time. You're the daddy of them all. But what does it take to be a good con man? I'm not guilty. You're the one who's guilty. On this show, we're going to bring you the filthy stories of some of the world's worst scammers, schemers, con artists, fraudsters, and even murderers. These criminals have built millions, John, not just millions, billions of dollars out of poor, unsuspecting marks. That is right. Some of these white collar and even red collar, I don't know if that's even a thing. I don't think it is. Okay. So anyway, some of these dirty criminals are are very well known, but others you might not have ever even heard of, but they all share one common trait, and that is that they are greedy as <laughs> Can we say that on entrepreneur? <laughs> they will stop at nothing to make a buck. That sums it up, right, Dan? I, I, I think it does, and it's, it's a part of this that is so fascinating to me is um, – you know, obviously people want to make money and they'll do anything to do it. But I just I always think about like, what was the end game for these people? Because it seems like they paint themselves in a corner like there's no way out of this without revealing that you're a total scamster. So I just I just uh, I'm fascinated to uh, we got some incredible experts who are going to break down both sides of the scam equation to let you know, like, not just how people got tricked into doing these things, but also like what was behind the brains of the tricksters? Why didn't they put their geniuses to good use? I know. I never understand it. It's so hard for us as law-abiding citizens, I think we are, to really get in the heads of people who are just hardened criminals who really can like almost compartmentalize their crimes, right? So I'm fascinated to learn about them. And I think when our uh, listeners hear some of these stories are going to be like, what? Like, how could this ever have ended up in any way putting this person in jail? But, you know, somebody, you know, like a Bernie Madoff, some of these people got away with it for so many years that I think that they just kind of convinced themselves that this was going to be fine. Right. Uh, So that's a great point, because I always wonder, do they have they just convinced themselves or are they just living with this like ticking time bomb that they know is going to go off at any second? But the thing to me is, you know, I, I, I would like to think I'm a, a nice person, uh, but or, or a pushover. But like, you know, if I go to the store and I like, uh, you know, the, the barista and I like don't say thank you nicely enough, I feel bad. Like, oh, she's probably a jerk. <laughs> so I'm just thinking, like, I wonder if I was like stealing millions of dollars from her. Would I feel like worse or or what? Or do they think, hey, these guys got so much money, they're not even going to notice? I think that's it. I think they sort of, you know, I was and we'll maybe talk about this in a future episode. I was a victim of a con uh, about 10 years ago. I'm really sorry I did that to you, John. I feel Yeah, thank you. I still never will forgive you for that. (laughs) And, you know, I think that the con artist who is now no longer with us, who died in prison, I think that he kind of got to in thinking that he was really helping people because he what he did make us money until he took all our money. So there's a sort of psychology that and I would love to hear an expert talk about this where it's like, you know what, we're all in on this and, and everybody's benefiting. So screw them. Right. But it is amazing to me that that people can do this to other people. All right. So today we're going to talk about 
a really interesting con story that came to my attention, thanks to our friend that we're going to bring on the show in just a minute, Josh Dean. And it is the story of this notorious Hollywood con queen. I don't know if you've ever heard about this person before we before I brought it to your attention. Have you, Dan? You know, at first I I uh, it didn't ring a bell. But as I started reading up on it, I was I, I remembered it. It's it is crazy. It's crazy. So this is a story that is so weird to me that if I actually and I'm in Hollywood right now, went into a pitch room and tried to pitch it, they'd be like, yeah, right. right. Um, <laughs> next. It's just too weird. And it's one of those things that we're it's, you know, the truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah, it's it's wild. And so so this Hollywood con queen, she reigned for uh, nine devastating years. She caught nine years, nine years. She caught conned Hollywood hopefuls out of millions of dollars. And we're not talking about those types of people who like wouldn't wouldn't even notice that a million dollars was gone. We're talking about. We are talking about some producers, but we're talking about people who are on the fringes who are trying to make their big dream come true. Uh, Gig workers like makeup artists, personal trainers, photographers, stuntmen. It's really, really skeezy stuff. Yeah. I mean, these are people that are not big stars by any means. These are people that are trying to break up into the business. Um, Yeah. Stuntmen, photographers, makeup artists, personal trainers. And, and, and they were built as you will find out for not always that much money. So it was kind of this crazy thing where all this work went into this scam. And then, you know, maybe like they were built for 5,000, $10,000, which of course to them is a lot of money, but by, by, by Bernie Madoff and some of the other notorious scammers is, you know, that's like chump change. Um, So that's what even makes it stranger and weirder, but you're going to find out a lot about it. Um, And to tell us the story uh, we are going to be joined by our long lost friend and former colleague, a guy by the name of Josh Dean. Josh Dean. Josh Dean, a name that we have not heard in many years. Josh. But Josh worked with Dan and I at a magazine called Stuff Magazine back in the day. And uh, he also worked with us at another magazine called Twist Magazine, but we won't even go there. Uh, <laughs> so we've worked with Josh for many years. And sort of unlike us, Josh went on to become very successful and prolific in his career. And he's an investigative journalist. He is an author. And he's co-founder of an awesome podcast network called Campside, which has a bunch of great shows, including one called Chameleon, Hollywood Con Queen, which is why we want to talk to him today. So please welcome Mr. Josh Dean. Josh, how are you? I'm Woo. good. How are you guys? Been a while. It's been a minute, Josh. Been a minute. Are we you, gonna are we gonna get all our money stolen from you since you're such an expert on conning people by the end of this episode? Or I'm gonna try. All right. But you won't, but you won't know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just checked my wallet, and I will at the end of the show too. Josh, let's set the scene here a bit. Just tell us how this con worked and and played itself out. So over the past, well, I don't think we exactly know when it began, but let's say six or seven years, probably um, someone out there began calling, I guess we call them below the line movie, film and TV people who had jobs that like make movies and TV shows possible, but aren't like the glamorous ones that you think about. So we're talking about like stuntmen and makeup artists and um, like bit part actors and 
photographer, set photographer. So basically the kind of jobs that people have on every movie, but not the ones you think about, not directors, screenwriters, and actors for the most part. And they were, they were getting offered these jobs on a movie or one of several movies that was taking place in almost always in Indonesia, in Jakarta. And the twist was that like you had this amazing opportunity to like take a step up in your career. So if you were like, associate makeup artist you would be like running the makeup department or if you're associate hairstylist you'd be the head hairstylist on this big martial arts movie but you just had to get to jakarta in some cases like the next day if not in a few days wow so basically the the offer was like if any of us like the, the job of what you would consider the job of a lifetime basically you can have that job but you have to get there immediately right um, which I think uh, hearing about other kind of criminal endeavors, uh, that's always th- that's always seems to be a signature of it. Like, don't give people enough time to think or to talk to other people like they got to act now. Totally. It's, it's actually I think one of the most effective tricks in any con is that there's like this sense of urgency. And I've heard like people who combat con artists or, or like help people avoid it always say, like, be very wary of an offer that seems too good to be true that requires you to like act immediately. Right. Yeah. All right. So you tell me the con queen tells me I've got the job of a lifetime waiting for you in Jakarta. So where, what happens next? Where does, where's the con come in? So, okay. You, you take this offer and say, all right, I, I, I will be the head makeup artist on your Kung Fu movie in Jakarta. And I will buy my own plane ticket tomorrow to fly on my own dime to Indonesia. And then someone picks you up at the airport with your name on a, like a, one of those placards they hold up um, and takes you to a hotel and checks you in. But they're like, it's like sort of death by a thousand cuts. They're like, I need a hundred dollars to pay the taxi, but don't worry, the production's going to pay him back. Or almost every case, there's like a series of location scouting. Like the, so the next day, it's basically like, oh, get up and your, your guide will meet you in the lobby. And we're going to go look at locations and I'm like forgetting that why would a hairstylist need to look at locations? Like, let's put that aside for a second. It, it was usually like, oh, well, the producer is delayed. So he won't be here for, he or she won't be here for a few days. So we're just going to go around and look at locations where you'll be working. And it's like, oh, well, there's a permit to visit that site. So it's a hundred dollars. And so over the course of three or four or five days, you might be out a couple thousand bucks, which I mean, it seems like a lot of work to get like yes. a couple thousand bucks out of one person you have to convince to fly from America to Jakarta. It's a very high concept scam. It's a high concept. <laughs> it's, it really is. It's perfect for wow. Hollywood. But I think one of the elements that we need to talk about is who the con queen pretended to be, because that's what convinced people to go to Jakarta, because it wasn't just like, I'm some random, you know, Hollywood producer and I've got this project. Like people are gullible, but they're not quite that gullible or they're not, you know, they're not going to go on their own dime for, for just anybody. Yeah, that's true. Right. So that's, that's sort of a key element of it is that the, you would get this phone call out of the blue and it would be from like a very famous producer or studio head. So we're talking like Amy Pascal, who used to run Sony pictures or Kathleen Kennedy or Stacey Snyder or Deb Snyder, like some of the most powerful women in Hollywood. Basically, if you were like make a list of, you know, the 15 or 20 most powerful women in Hollywood who are not actresses. So we're talking like business with producers and studio chiefs. It was one of those women. So I would like a technical advisor that could sort of safeguard the assets 
which is myself and and obviously the project. And so, again, like thinking about it rationally with the distance, like it's pretty unlikely that if you are like a makeup artist who's not like not famous, that like a studio head is personally going to call you and be like, "Yeah, I, I have picked you, Dan Vova, associate <laughs> Mesa makeup artist." Yeah. To, so maybe they are more gullible than I said. Fly to Jakarta yeah. and run my the department for my movie. But I think what you know what we sort of explain on the podcast is that. Like, it sounds silly in the abstract, but if you're, like, in a creative business and you're in the entertainment business means you're probably doing something because you really want, you love it, you want it, you believe in it, but you know it's, like, the odds of success are, are like, stacked against you. That basically it's going to take a ridiculous break or you're just not going to make it and you're going to, like, sort of struggle along and have a fine career but not a great one. So when when that break does come, it's almost like people are waiting for it. They're, they're not expecting it, but if it happens, they're like, wait, okay, yeah. this is it. This is my moment right now. And if right, I don't take right. this moment, if I think about it or if I'm like, oh, I can't really afford the front of the airfare, they're just all like, yes, I'll do it. Of course. Of course, Kathleen Kennedy, I will come be your stuntman in right. yes. Jakarta. Well, and- what, what, uh, sorry, but what's so <laughs> – the Jakarta part of it, and I'm sure you're going to get to this, <laughs> but – so this scammer is not doesn't obviously own an airline, so they're not getting any of that ticket money, right? That's that's nope. that's that's a wash for them. That's that's so amazing. Yeah, it, it is. But they're also not paying. They're not paying the airfare, so that's a that's a key. Thing. Right. Yeah, but they, that's also they, not like they, part of the. It's not like the scammers in cahoots with the airline. That's just money going to the exactly. airline. Like, yeah. You know, right. They're being told that that money will be reimbursed. And all along the way, it's like, oh, yes, of course. You'll be all of, you know, keep your receipts. All of this will be reimbursed. And, but the part that goes to the airline is going to the airline. So I suppose, like, I don't want to, like, name drop any particular airlines that they have, like, unwittingly participated in a scam. Right. Because they took, they took the money. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Jakarta yeah. Airlines. Um, but, yeah. That, so, okay. So the people go over there and then um, can you just, it might be give, maybe just give an example of one, one person, one victim, one Mark that was, uh, that kind of stood out for you, like an example of what, like what it was like for them. Well, I think, well, uh, the woman who's in episode two is one that people always remember. Her name's Heather Pitchford. She was a makeup artist in the UK, like a fairly successful one. Like she was, she had a, a good career, but I think was offered like, to run a department on a big budget film and in her case and this is important and this was not typical but also happened you know not infrequently her agent actually was also looped into the scam so heather was probably a little bit more successful than some of the other makeup artists who were lured in because they were sort of junior and were offered a big leap heather's agent vouched for it so uh the con queen spoke with Heather's agent and Heather and both of them, I think so any skepticism Heather may have had was, was relieved by the fact that her agent was like, yeah, this seems like a good thing. Um, And both Heather and her agent are featured on the podcast. And I think they, obviously the agent feels bad now, but we have tape like the encounters with like the critical thing in this scam is that the person, the con artist clearly knew what, she was doing like like had the expertise knew how to speak the language had the ndas and the 
location scouting forms, like all of the paper trail that you might look at, it all looks legit and often presented as like an assistant would, would like holding for Amy Pascal and then Amy Pascal would come on. So you, you can imagine like, it's not like Heather's agent is a, is a bumpkin either. So like she's a right. real established makeup artist agent, but just didn't notice any of the, the red flags. So Heather takes a job, flies to Jakarta, spends, I forget how many days there, but in Heather's case, she had, she had a quite harrowing experience because she's a single woman now in Jakarta alone being driven around by these men. And over a series of days, she heard like the feeling gets worse and worse. She's like, okay, this is weird. And then by day two, it's like, yeah, this is really weird. Where's the producer? And then by day three, she's like, okay, this is not right. Like something's going on here. Meanwhile, she's like being driven around in a taxi through like the slums of Jakarta. And she had one very harrowing night. I think it was after dark. And she's like looking at her phone, like the tracking herself on the map and he, and the, the driver's like, I'm taking you back to her, your hotel. And like the dot is like moving away from her hotel. And she's like, thought she was going to be like raped or murdered. So she had a very harrowing experience and was like leaving voice memos on her back in England. Of course, people were asleep. It was like the other side of the world. So she was unable to reach people. So she was like leaving voice messages and memos being like, I don't know something's going on here. I'm not sure what it is. So Heather was like on one extreme of like a woman who had quite a traumatic experience. In a lot of other cases, people weren't traumatized by it. They were furious or embarrassed or, right. you know, felt, may, well, you know, I think one of the most insidious things about this game, which seems when we talk about it, it sounds sort of slept and harmless and ridiculous. And it's like, how could this even have been a thing? But when you're preying on people's ambition, like it really, uh, can I swear on this podcast? I was going to say, really? Okay. Yeah, please do. Them up. If you yep. are in a, I mean, we all work in creative businesses. And if you go back to a point where you were like on the verge of some big job and that job comes along and you like put yourself out there and then you find out that it was bullshit, like you're pretty much feel lower than you ever have before because not yep. only was that opportunity not real, but you're the idiot who fell for it. So now you're like, I'm just a loser and yeah. I'm never going to, I'm never going to make it. And it's yeah. like you say, I think in, and, in retrospect, it sounds like, Oh, well, how would you possibly do that? But like using myself as an example next week, I'm, I'm fronting money for a plane ticket to go do uh, an assignment, you know? And I, <laughs> now I'm going to call that place and be like, Hey, <laughs> right. Entrepreneur better pick up that right, tab. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've done that. Yeah. We're like journalists. Like I've, I've done that for magazines, like numerous times in my career, some person on the other end of an email, like some ma magazine editor who I've never spoken to actually right. is like, yeah, right. Do you want to go to Germany and interview this person? I'm like, definitely. Yeah, of course. And then like, yeah, you front the money and they, I've luckily have not been conned yet. But we right. could have been. Yeah. How much money did this con artist take? We don't know exactly, but I, I think conservatively hundreds of victims, I think possibly well over a thousand. So, I mean, we're talking in the hundreds of thousands and probably in the low, low millions, it, but like, imagine like it's, it's a volume scam, but like a crazy volume scam because all of these people had to be lured with phone calls and then followed up with emails and paperwork. And like, I just, can't imagine you would need like that, like that digital thing at CIA headquarters with like all the yeah, docs right. and like, like how could you possibly keep track of like, and 
and it's so low level, it's so little money that like the FBI and stuff isn't going to really, isn't that interested in getting involved in like, oh, I got built out of, you know, $5,000 or whatever. key to it, and I think this is key to a lot of scams actually, is that one reason people get away with, especially these volume scams, is, is exactly that amount. Because actually the guy who's in episode one, Eddie, he went to like his local police department and they were like, yeah, okay, so what? And also, in addition to just being like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You had three thousand dollars stolen. Like I have like a ten rapes and murders to investigate. Like, dude. But also, they were like, they were like, so did they steal your money? And he's like, well, not exactly. They're like, so you you handed yeah. it over willingly? And he's like, well, yeah, I guess pretty much. Okay, I, um, sorry, I'm an idiot. Yeah, you feel like such a. And dumb, I think the yeah. only reason that this got ultimately got on the FBI's radar was because the women in Holly, like, it, it, it pissed off. The women who were being impersonated, and they had enough power right. to get the FBI. Because uh, I think that's the interesting. Would never yeah. would it never would have become a case because I think even when you combine all the amounts together and you get to like let's say three million or whatever that number is, like even at that number, if you go into an FBI, they're like chasing the corporation that built fifty million or the CEO who took thirty. Like yeah. there's always bigger cr- financial crimes out there. So it, it, even if you're like because imagine you're the FBI and you're like, okay, so I have to interview like 500 victims who all right. fell for this. Yeah. Yeah. And like, right. Right. Yeah, no. and then you go to your boss, you're like, I got a case for you. And they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Holy cow. Um, oh they, my you know, goodness. We, we, what happens in Jakarta stays in Jakarta. And, and, and so all these victims, you know, you said the FBI, what, you know, I know there's a private investigator that gets involved. Can you sort of like unravel a little bit of how this mystery gets solved? And it's still getting solved, I think, today, but can you sort of take us through a little bit of the steps of how, you know, yeah, this con starts getting exposed? Well, it was a few things, I think, and I don't know which part came first, but uh, like the media a little bit started to report on it. So I think word was getting around a little bit in Hollywood that like there was someone out there impersonating powerful female executives and people were falling for, but another powerful weapon of scammers is shame. So I think lots of the victims didn't ever tell anybody. It's like embarrassing to come back and say like, yeah, by the way, I just flew myself to Indonesia and lost like $5,000 because I thought I was going to run the makeup department. Like you feel like an idiot, but um so word started to get out a little bit the media started covering it on some small level and then those women i think i don't know whether they went to the fbi first or went to private detectives first but some of those powerful executives also hired um case used to be called k2 investigations i think it's now called k2 integrity and they hired a private investigation firm which which basically Unlike the FBI, you're paying them money, so they investigate it. And they put this dog and investigator at KSU named Nicoletta Katiana. Nicole, she more informally, um, that's what we called her. So she she picked up the case and starts to really, I mean, she deserves a lot of credit for ultimately helping uncover the scammer. All of this is paperwork hidden behind like fake emails and IP addresses. So she starts doing this digital investigation at some point. It's big enough that the FBI is also investigating and then over. But we're talking years. I mean, this was going on for five years. We don't, we're not sure. A long, long time. Did they arrest somebody or what? How does this play out? Yeah, ultimately, yes. So the, the combination of the work done by Nicole at K2 and then ultimately the FBI picks up the case. It's assigned to the Southern District. 
U.S. Attorney, Southern District of California. So there's, there's like a big law enforcement investigation. And then the sort of case on the ground is like helping. And I think one thing case did was really like help tease out the volume. Like talk to a lot of the victims and those victims referred them to other victims. So they were able to lay out the scale of it. So by the time those women, those producers, and we're not sure exactly which ones hired K2, that's, or the ones that went to the FBI. It's like, that's not public information, but you can presume, let's say it's Amy Pascal. Like by the time Amy Pascal goes to the FBI, I think they, they can talk to K2 and see that this is not just a handful of people. This is hundreds of people, if not thousands of people. And it's going on all over the world. It wasn't just Americans, it was Brits and Aussies. There was a touch of Israeli, South Africans, like it, it was very widespread. And so in the end, yes, they did, they did get their, well, am I going to say get their man? They, well, they did. They literally got their man. So the Hollywood con queen, you just said they got their man. So you want to explain that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, the big twist was that this, well, this female con artist was not a female at all. The Hollywood con queen. The person uh, impersonating powerful women in Hollywood was not a woman at all. It was a man. Wow. That's nuts. So this man, uh, what is this man's name? It's a bit hard to pronounce. And this man had a lot of aliases. He too, did. Right? His actual name is Hargobind Tahil Romani. Uh, well, allegedly. Let's just say he's not been convicted yet. The man arrested in the crime, his name was Argaman Tahil Romani. He was a, um, I don't remember exactly what age, the late 30s, I think, uh, Indonesian national living in England. He had been living in Jakarta for at least the first part of the scam and then ultimately relocated to England and has been in England or was in England for the last several years where he was running, by the way, like, so I said, like the, the logistics of this is mind boggling, right? The fact that he had to manage all of these people as all of, he's pretending to be numerous women, constantly juggling dozens, if not hundreds of victims. And by the way, in his spare time in England, he was a pretending to be like a food world personality. So he was like, Oh my God. <laughs> like getting free meals in restaurants and like, getting people to like give him money to, because he said he was hosting a Netflix show and he was hobnobbing around with famous chefs. So he was like, had a second whole con going in England. Wow. Clearly this is a person who was very unsatisfied with himself and needed to be, yeah. Feel important. Anything but himself. Right. Yeah. He wanted to be important, but, but rather than just becoming important, he was impersonating important people, whether those were studio chiefs or famous chefs or TV hosts. Quite, quite a man. Well, that, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit before you got on, but wow. If you took uh, a, a fifth of the time and energy you put into this scams, you probably could have been a film producer. You could have made, you know, many movies probably. Maybe even an actor. I mean, it's guy obviously, or, or a yeah. voiceover artist. Cause this guy obviously was really good at voices. all of that. Yeah. I mean, you think like a lot of what being a film producer is, is like logistics management and being able to talk people right. into things, raising money, all of those things he had like skills to burn. And yeah, you're right. Like he could do voices. He was obviously quite charming, but he had the ability to like change his personality and change his voice. I mean, when we learned more about his backstory from Jakarta, um, 
he had spent some time in prison where he's, it seems like he mentored with like a more hardened con artist criminal. It's, it's like straight out of the movie, right? Like That's, he's the like yeah. young impressionable kid in prison who's like getting beat up. And then the tough guy takes him under his wing and right. te- teaches him the way. And the student becomes the master. Yeah. And he becomes yeah. the master. But one thing we, one thing we heard that he did is that he would, he would like read the, sex letters to the prisoners and like their wives voices so like you know the prisoners would get like <laughs> like they're they get all choked up like they're dirty wow. like they're male and I, I mean i guess you would read them to them while they presumably pleasure themselves i'm <laughs> <laughs> oh god wow yikes and, yeah this by guy. the way and we, he was if not gay then at least bisexual because we know that he um the reason he was in prison in Jakarta is because he, he called in a bomb threat to the U.S. Embassy to get back his guilt, his boy, like a, a boyfriend there who had upset him. So he the, and worked at the U.S. Embassy, so to get back at him, he called in a bomb threat, which got him charged with. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the insi- yeah one of the insidious things this guy did that we haven't really talked to is that he would. Not only would he con these people, but then he would make them feel incredibly guilty about, you know, like you screwed. He would make the people who came over um, to Jakarta feel bad, like it was somehow their fault that they weren't getting paid. Like, you know, like he would twist the table. It's all about control, yep. I think, for this totally. guy. Yeah, he would, he would definitely like slip in and out of like good cop, bad cop. And like, yeah, when they would be, you know, complaining about the money, he would like somehow say it was their fault or it was their representative's fault. And then, like, the, the most twisted part was that he, for a while there, was, like, targeting personal trainers and, like, you know, bit part actors and then sexually harassing them, where he would ask them to act out sex scenes on the phone. So it would be, like, you know, I, I need you to, I mean, which, again, is absurd, right? Like, you see, like, I'm, here I am, like, huge Hollywood producer and you are like a guy who has a few lines in my movie and I'm going to ask you on the phone to like act right. out the sex scene. And in one episode, I think it's episode six, we like we feature one of these guys who was like completely scarred by it, right? Like humiliated and, and violated, which again, you're like, oh yeah, it's phone sex, whatever. But he like, I mean, it, it basically caused him to quit the business. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I think I would too. Uh, to be honest, like that's, that's, uh, and then to, well, it's amazing. So you, you talk to these people, um, were they hesitant to tell your story or is it like kind of cathartic for them to like, kind of explain what happened? Both. I think some people were like, I think eager to un- unburden because I think it, by identifying with it in the context of this show and this like large, this con being unraveled is like oh i wasn't the only one and now i know that's sort of safety in numbers there were definitely some people the guy from who i just mentioned the like the one who was had phone sex he wasn't comfortable using his name he took some real convincing and he only did it i think because one of our one of the guys we were working with on it was a was a producer a hollywood producer who was friends with that guy um who promised him who promised him a role a role in uh, <laughs> yeah well of course in Singapore. The other one was, this was the craziest one. Like the, there's a guy and I can't remember what we call him on the show, but he was a, a Kiwi, like a mercenary. He had been in the SAF 
and mm. he does security on films. And he was lured to Jakarta along with like five of his guys. So he was the one who's like, my job is to like provide security and protect people from getting hurt or scammed. And I fell for the scam. And I brought not only that, but I brought five of my guys over. So he was like really fucked up by it. He definitely wouldn't let us use his name. And he, to this day, I still keep in touch with him. He like wants to kill the guy. I was going to say, I mean, the person you don't want to uh, piss off is like <laughs> someone who's highly trained at killing people and finding yeah. them and killing them. Yeah. That's like insane. A, a professional mercenary who yeah. has definitely, definitely killed many people. Wow. That, that is, that's incredible. Um, I was wondering when you talk about the, the scale of this, you know, was there a degree of, uh, so I'm the guy that picks you up from the airport and I take you to the set. Do I just like go back to the airport and pick the net? Like were multiple people happening at the same time? Uh, or were they doing like one at a time? Do you, do you know? I, we never actually met anyone who, who overlapped exactly, but I suspect it was, if not, like on the same day that it was someone was arriving and someone else was leaving. Or I think it looks like there were two or three drivers at least that we were aware of. So it is very possible that, that there were multiple people there at one time. I mean, certainly in the same time period. So whether they're overlapping or it's like, well, Eddie arrives at five and like Heather leaves at four thirty, So like you've got to like drop one off and pick another one off. And then, have the hotel reservation book for that one and be checking that one out and have like the location scout. It's like, honestly, that is the most mind boggling part to me. Like more, more than the voices, more than the, it's just like, how did anybody actually manage this? Because you have to remember he was doing multiple personalities at a time with multiple victims and all of them wasn't just like one phone call. It was like, that was the first phone call. And then there'd be another one and then you could call him back and then there'd be an assistant. And then there was email and like, how did none of it get like wires get crossed? It's astounding. Yeah. Right. 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 They would just be like, wait, you had a British accent five minutes ago. Oh, like okay. you said, this guy had a real talent. I mean, this guy had a talent. He was just used it for yeah. evil, unfortunately. Right. Just like, like John Small. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so reminiscent of my own life, this whole story. It's really bringing back a lot of a lot of memories. Josh, where is the con queen now? Is he, is he in America? Is he in England? He is in a jail cell in England um, waiting for a hearing to be extradited. So the U.S. Attorney, Southern District of California, has has flat press charges. I think eight charges. It's like wire fraud, um, some kind of impersonation charge. Various, like, it's hard. The other thing with these, it's like the, there aren't, like, very serious charges to bring against these con arts often. So they have to sort of accumulate charges. And I think facing somewhere between four and 25 years. But, but to do that, first, they have to convince the British government to extradite him to the U.S. And one thing I think he has been attempting to argue is that he's not safe, that like American prisons are so shitty that he's not safe. Mind you, this is a guy who we know spent time in an Indonesian prison, which is definitely not a nice place to be. Yeah, right. Um, now, I'm not saying American prisons are either. So, if, you know, maybe there's some validity to that. All expectations are that he will be extradited. I think the hearing is in October or November. And He's already used, like, it's been delayed over a year. So if that goes the way the U.S. attorney expects, he'll be extradited to California and then tried in California. But also, I think he was arrested now. We're talking 
December of 2020. So we're a year and a, he's been, he's been a year and a half now in jail. So if, you know, say they rule in November, it's then been two years. They send him back to California. The trial never happens right away. So there'll be like right. six months or a year. By that time, he will have spent three years in jail. I, I think there's a fairly good chance by the time it happens, even if he's convicted, they'll be like, you've already served three years. You're only going to 18 more yeah. months and you're free. So I think uh-huh. we're dealing with someone who will be quite young. And we'll probably be back out in the world. Yeah, that's looking a, for a new gig. That's right. That's a that's a great word of warning to anyone listening to this who gets a, a too good to be true offer uh, in in, uh, in a year and a half from now. Well, especially because I think one of the we on the last episode we investigated his background and tried to figure out where he came from, and I, we found some amazing stuff out, including that he had he was educated in the U.S. and the reason he went to college in the U.S. is and he went to Bradley University because it's the like Harvard of the debate circuit. So he came, he came to like do competitive speech and debate. So he's a trained like con athlete. Like he, he and during that period when he was like doing competitive speech and debate, he also like called in a bomb threat against another team. He had been disqualified for cheating from a competition and then in, as revenge, like called in a bomb threat against the other team. So he's been like at this for a long time. Wow. Why? I mean, I know you're not a psychologist, Josh, but you definitely play one on your podcast. And, you know, you do so many of these and, and do have written so many stories about people like this. What do you think it is? Like, that, like we've been talking about this. And I think it mystifies us um, why somebody would go to such great lengths for so little really in return. Is it all about control? Is it, uh, what do you think? I think that's some of the, I think the pleasure part is like control and humiliation, but I think that has to stem from somewhere. And, you know, I don't know if I'm being like amateur psychologist, I think Mm -hmm. he was gay, grew up in a traditional Indonesian family, ethnically Indian, but in Indonesia, a Muslim country, which where homosexuality is not something that's like widely accepted. We think his parents were probably not cool with it at all, nor were his classmates probably. So he probably grew up feeling repressed and angry that he was not accepted for who he was. His family was in the entertainment business. So it's also possible like he always wanted to make it an entertainment and maybe something didn't go right or he felt like his dad would never accept him. So he goes, starts on this like path of con artistry, like white collar crime. And I don't know, what I don't know is if there were some like failed, like maybe he got close to making it as an actor or a producer or something like right. that. Maybe there was, I don't know if there was like a a spark that lit the fire. If there was like one of that where it's like, well then fuck those guys, I'm just going to get them. Whatever it was, I think, as I said, I think, I think on the show, but I said that to a bunch of people, like I, there's no way I believe that anybody sat down one day and was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lure a thousand people to Indonesia (laughs) and I'm going to take $3,000 from each one of them. And in total, I will have $3 million and that's going to be my job. I just think he was fucking around and did it once. And it's like, oh, hmm, okay, that works. works. Let's try it again. Oh, whoa, it worked again. Whoa, okay. And then it became more and more, you know, he had patterns and probably methods and spreadsheets and God knows what else. And eventually, Hmm. but there's no way anybody sits down and thinks of this as like, Oh, I got a scam. Right. Right. Let me tell you something. Yeah. It is wow. a weird scam. Wow. What a great wow. story. Great story. John, it is called John. You monster. 
no, I was going to, do you, Jan, do you have a final no, question? No, I was no, no, kinda no, go ahead. Yeah. Give him his billing here. All right. So the show on the podcast is called Chameleon Hollywood Con Queen. There's now what you said, four seasons. You're on your fourth four season. season comes uh, August 1st. I only hosted the first season. Um, but it, I missed you. I missed you on the other three. Well, I'll come back. But I, I you know, I, I got to move <laughs> on to do things, John. I'm like the con queen. Yeah. I, I get I get bored. <laughs> yeah, for so. reason. <laughs> well, are are there hot? Is has Hollywood? Speaking of Hollywood, have they come a calling? It seems like a a, a show made for Hollywood. Yep, it's uh, okay. I mean, it's in That's development, terrific. like everything in that town. It's a yeah. miracle. Anything gets I'll made. I'll see. If, I'll Wait, see what working, I can do. We're working on it. Did, Josh, did they tell you that you had to fly out to Jakarta? <laughs> to, to <do? laughs> I, I sort of wish. There's some part of me that was like mildly disappointed that I was not conned. And, and not quite, there were definitely moments in the middle of it where I was like, hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, right. Is this, right. Is this him right now? And even, yeah. and even to this day, like there's some, I'll get like a weird message on my phone and I'm like, because I would not be surprised. He probably does not like me very much. Like, yeah, I don't think that's a, that's myself and that she, Like, I think we're probably not his favorite people. And I, I like, I just feel like I'm gonna have to, to some extent, watch my back for the rest of my life. This guy's gonna like, I'm on the, I'm on the list of targets. Yeah. Oh my god. Don't click any links. I'm very yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm careful. I don't. I, I wasn't clicking links before. I'm definitely not doing it now. <laughs> right. Wow. Well, Joshine, thank you so much. This has been a, a really interesting, fascinating episode. It's so great to catch up with you again. Yeah. It, it's good to see you guys. Yeah, like old, yeah. Old times, but Dan's hair is a different color now. It is. <laughs> yeah, I don't have hair. That's why I'll, I wear I'll a hat. Whatever color it is, as long as it's attached to my head, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you should be very grateful for that. Um, Josh Dean, you're the man. Thank right, you. Cool. Thank you for doing this. I'm so I'm so honored. Dirty Money is a production of the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network. It is produced by Dan Bova and John Small with music by Rich Bova. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening.